0: I just want to add a quick, before I start here, a quick note about um, small groups. You may have recognized me in some of the pictures and um, some of our small group. I think especially in the times that we are living now that small groups have taken on a new importance for us. And I believe that they are the way of the future, so to speak, um, in keeping us unified together relieving depression and bringing us together as one. So I, I just want to add my woohoo to your thoughts on that and hope that some of you will start your own um, small groups because they are so important. All right, I want to talk to you today about debt. Um, are you in debt? Yeah, pretty much all of us are in debt or have been. Maybe not financially, but in some way. It seems to be the way of our life in today's world. And it was probably the same in Jesus' day because we would talk about what he talked about in debt. But before I go further, I just want to make a little caveat. I'm going to use the word enemy today periodically. And when I do, I don't necessarily think of it in the same form that it literally means. Um, but as a way to reference somebody who's opposed to me or my thinking or whatever, so don't take the word "enemy" to mean somebody you really want to get out there with. Um, there's a story I heard not long ago about an elder, the local elder in the church. He noticed a little girl that was coming out of a room where she probably was or she definitely was not supposed to be. And so he reprimanded her. Even us adults don't take reprimanding very well, do we? We don't like it. And she definitely did not. She smarted off to him, said a few unkind things. Somehow, Mama found out about it. And on the way home, they had a discussion about it. And later that afternoon, Mama called the local elder. And she said, I'm going to put my daughter on the phone in a minute. She wants to apologize for her behavior today. But I'd like to ask you a favor before she gets on the phone. When she says she's sorry, please don't tell her that it's okay. Don't say, that's okay. Just tell her she's forgiven. Wow. Mother probably has more understanding of this whole thing than most of us. You see, forgiveness is not saying it is okay. I think many of us are slow to forgive because what's been done to us is rather terrible and we just don't want to sweep it under the rug. You see, forgiveness is not saying it's okay as though it's been swept under the rug. Um, The disease deserves to be punished, right? It's not okay. We tend to forget that forgiveness does not mean that it's swept under the rug. So if that's not what forgiveness means, what is forgiveness saying? Today, I want to unpack a, very, a rather touchy issue found in Matthew 18, all about debt, um, forgiveness, and freedom. Every year at Veterans Day and Memorial Day, we especially focus on freedoms that we adjo- enjoy in our country and every year we kind of hope that they'll continue. Nevertheless, the freedom that I want to talk about in Matthew 18 goes a little beyond what the freedoms that we enjoy in our country is all about. So Matthew 18 starts out with a story about children and Jesus' attitude toward their place in his kingdom. He admonishes us to be more like a trusting child and and probably, as we'll look at by the time we get to the end of the chapter, um, more forgiving, like children. see, Jesus stands up for their rights. He stands up for the rights of children. He doesn't really care how old those children are. He exalted their place in the kingdom, establishing their freedoms and their importance to him and to all of heaven. Why? He says in verse 10, Beware that you do not look down on any of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels are always in the presence of my heavenly Father. Do you think of that? Your children, no matter what their age, their angels are walking back and forth between you and heaven. Ever notice that children have a little less trouble forgiving? They get mad quick, but they sure forget it quick. Um, the rest of uh, Matthew 18 goes into how we should be settling differences among our brothers and sisters and talks about the forgiveness and how it works a little bit. But what I want to really concentrate on today starts in verse 21. So I'd like to pick up our discussion there. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, How often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Peter thought he was being pretty good there. No, Jesus says, not seven times, but rather 70 times seven. Some of your translations may say 77 times, but you see it really doesn't matter to me how many times is really what Jesus said because I usually tend to forget by the time I've gotten to three or four and maybe five. In that way, maybe on a lot like the Pharisees were, because, you see, they thought that three times was enough. They probably couldn't count any further than that either. But Christ teaches that we are never to become tired of forgiving. Going on, Jesus decides that it's time to tell them a little bit of a parable so that they'll understand this forgiveness issue better. And the dangers of cherishing an unforgiving spirit. So, he says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. Seems it was a fairly common practice in that day for um, servants of the king to borrow some of the from some of the vast sums of money that would come into the kingdom. They would normally repay it and a ledger was kept and they tracked all these things down. But it seems the king is now ready to check out these accounts and just make sure that things were done the way they were supposed to be. Um, And I don't want to get hung up on whether or not this was legal or whether it was right to be borrowing the money and not paying it back so quickly because the real purpose of the issue of this whole parable is not the legalities of it, but we find that in the process of this investigation, one of the debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. So the master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife and his children and all of his possessions. This debt had to be repaid somewhere. but. The man fell down before his master and said, please be patient with me. I will pay it all. Hmm. I will pay it all. He owed 340 tons of silver at least. And he thought that somewhere in his one lifetime, he was going to get that kind of money to pay it back. I'm not sure how he thought that was possible, but it seems that he didn't realize the enormity of the debt he owed. Now, for those of you who don't understand in this parable where this master is comparable to God and the debt is comparable to the sin that we've amassed, he thought he could pay it all. Maybe you're wondering, like I did, how in the world did he ever get into such a position? How can you get into the position of owing your master 340 tons of silver? How did he get into the position of that much sin held to his credit or debit? Um, Do you find yourself in impossible situations sometimes? And continuing to do what you don't want to do? Somewhere along the line, I realize I'm a lot like Paul when he said, the thing I want to do, I do not do. But the thing I don't want to do, that's what I continue to do over and over. So it seems that maybe while I would like to tell this unfaithful servant here, what are you doing? You're really out of line here borrowing that much money. again. You know you can never... I'm a little bit like him. I've amassed a huge debt, but I can pay it all. Yep, this man actually had a plan that he was going to pay it all. He pretty much said, yep, Jesus, just give me a little more time. I'll get there. I will come back. I'll get it all taken care of after I get myself good enough to come into your presence. After all, you're a holy God, and I am not. Coming into your presence is a no-no, right? At least until I get some of this mud off. You see, maybe I can do enough good deeds that my bad deeds will not be quite so much. You know, I've got enough good deeds to offer. Oh, my goodness. Kind of a flawed thinking pattern going on here. Because the whole reason Jesus entered the world was I cannot get the mud off by myself. There's something that seems to be true with Jesus that he doesn't seem to mind the mud so much. He knows how to take care of it. I can't save myself. For this reason, Christ came into the world and gave himself and offers free pardon to me. The whole debt is canceled. Anyway, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's get back to the story and see how Jesus put it. Then his master was filled with pity for him and released him and forgave him his debt. This man was forgiven. He never even asked to be forgiven. He only asks for more time to pay the debt. However, the master freely forgave the debt anyway. There's an important note that we, because we know God is um, the master here, he forgave us without us even asking for forgiveness. Remember the Lord's Prayer? When we find in there, forgive us as we are forgiven. Does God expect us to forgive in the same manner he did? Just as the man was forgiven while only asking for more time? I find that this is the character of God. And when I struggle with this forgiveness issue, especially when I'm not asked to forgive, he tends to set up things so that I know how to forgive from the heart. Many of you have already heard this story, so forgive me while I share a part of my life that's not very pretty. Um, You may know that several years ago, um, it's been more than 30 years now, I was driven out of the church by a very pious church member who realized that my sin precluded me from church attendance, um, from being involved in the church. And I believed them. After all, I still had a lot of mud on me. And I needed time to get that mud off. And I loved God. I don't need the church. And so I drifted from the church. I drifted from God. I drifted and drifted and drifted. Obviously, something happened along the way, and God called me back. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. Um, And that's probably a long story for another time. But the very important thing that I'd like you to catch here um, is the day... I had decided to be rebaptized the very same pious person who had driven me out of the church with unkind words was the one who assisted in my baptism behind the scenes never try to convince me otherwise than that God once Reconciliation and forgiveness. Um, God's in the business of reconciliation from whatever platform He needs to use it from. It's important to Him. All right, I've digressed from Matthew 18. Let's get back there. We are picking up the story in verse 28. But when the man left the king, he went out and saw a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. None of this more time thing. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for just a little more time. He could pay. Be patient with me. I will repay it all, he pleaded. But his creditor would not wait. He had the man arrested, put in prison until the debt could be paid. Now, this new debtor owed a sum that was well within reason to be paid within a short time. However, even after the ungrateful, forgiven man who had that enormous debt forgiven and was so mercifully treated goes out, sees this fellow brother who owes him a much smaller debt, even after being forgiven such a large debt, He refuses to forgive a little one. To me, this is strong evidence that he still believed he could pay it all. After all, if I'm paying it all, you need to pay it all too. His heart was not humbled in any way by his forgiveness or the debt that was gone. But the forgiven servant had some justification, didn't he? he? He could be unforgiving toward his fellow debtor. After all, they made fun of me and humiliated me in the presence of others, in the whole church. He needs to pay for that. He needs to be humiliated. Jesus was mocked and humiliated on the cross in his place. But they Killed my child or stole him, or something. They deserve to die. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. He deserves. Jesus died because of what they did to your child. Come on now. They stole my spouse. They stole my money. They stole my job. They stole. Fill in the blank. My reputation. Something has to be done about this. It was. Jesus life was stolen on the cross as payment for what they stole from you. But come on. They abused me. They really hurt me. There's scars for life. They deserve to know what that feels like. Jesus hung on the cross naked in front of the whole universe. Suffering for what they did suffering their penalty we're studying Isaiah and I read recently remember where he says he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed this is so important that Jesus had it repeated. And Peter quotes it when he says in 1 Peter 2, that he bore our sins in his own body on the, cro- on the tree, that we, having died to our sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you are healed. If that isn't enough for you, the Holy Spirit inspired Ellen White To write, Jesus came and was treated as we deserve, that we might be treated as he deserves. He was condemned for our sins in which he had no share, that we might be justified by his righteousness in which we had no share. He suffered the death which was ours, that we might receive the life that was his, with his stripes. We are healed. It always has confused me how I think locking someone up in prison or locking them out of my life gives them an opportunity to pay for their debt. It's impossible to have a repayment done. It's only by His stripes that we were healed. However, I think we need to take another look at this subject and take it to the next level beyond the plan of personal salvation and even though i recognize that by jesus stripes i am healed he took my punishment my sin and i now can be treated like he deserves but now i need to understand that the sins of my enemy that has been committed have not been swept under the rug because jesus was also treated way my enemy deserves to be treated so that I can treat my enemy the way Jesus deserves to be treated did you get that my enemy's sin is no more okay than mine retaliation against my enemy will never bring me healing further the one who drove me out of church with on kind words has already been punished through Jesus death on the cross therefore i am healed by the stripes of jesus and not the stripes of my enemy jesus paid that penalty for both of us jesus suffering for my sins can only bring partial healing partial reconciliation i am made whole and truly reconciled not just to Jesus but to my brothers and sisters when i realized that jesus suffered for both of us jesus paid that penalty why do i need to take it out on my enemy the enemy sin is no more okay than our mine it's already been taken out on jesus Has realization set in yet? The retaliation against my enemy never brings me healing. I'm only healed by the stripes of Jesus. And all of that is what brings wholeness, is only possible in forgiveness and that reconciliation that Jesus wants to bring. When Jesus taught us to Pray, Father, forgive us as we forgive our debtors. He did not mean that in order to be forgiven our sins, we must not require our just dues. But we are also not to be harshly treating our enemy. Um, but rather, treat them with compassion and mercy. The same way that Jesus treated or Maybe I should think of it in the way that do I want Jesus to treat me the way I want my enemy to be be treated? Do I want to treat my enemy the way I want Jesus to treat me? However you want to look at this from whichever angle, same thing. You know, I remember several times in my life when I would decide that somebody had done something that was really stupid. <laughs> Sorry, that's not a nice word to use, but I thought, why would they do such a thing? It doesn't take long till I realize that um, I end up in the same situation and kind of make the same decision. It's a human trait, I'm afraid, but I try to remind myself now to be a little less judgmental when I see someone else's faults kind of a good thing to remember that the faults I see in someone else are the ones that I recognize in myself. However, it seems that this was an important concept to Jesus too because the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write, um, to remind me in Philippians 2 that is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, love one another, and work together with one mind and one purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others, too. You must have the same attitude that Jesus had. Many of your versions probably say, let this mind be in you. was also in Christ. Attitude, mind, referring to the same thing. Pretty strong admonition. How in the world is that possible? How do I let his mind be in me? A good friend of mine once told me, Pray, 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 pray. Probably because she knew one prayer wasn't going to be enough to handle this. Um, God will give a rich experience to you. Prayer brings Jesus to your side and gives your soul a new strength to overcome the inability to forgive. And it doesn't seem that two are needed to do this prayer. This prayer can happen with just one. Um, I know it because I've been there, done that. It's not an easy prayer to pray. It's an even harder prayer to let have happen or let happen. The one thing that I found, though, is with Jesus, this transformation is possible. And even if the only prayer I can say is, Jesus, make me willing to be willing to forgive in the same way that you forgive this, pro- this concept probably applies to many areas but I don't think that it ever applies more strongly than to an area that is so strongly representative of God's character as I think about that probably one of the most prominent characters of God is the compassion is the mercy is the forgiving Is that a word? Doesn't matter. To be like Christ then requires compassion and mercy, does it not? Jesus told me that if he repent, forgive, me, forgive him. It's not my job to determine if they're humble enough to f- repent. It's not my job to decide if they've made a decision that's in line with what's in their heart. You see, I'm pretty glad that I can't read your heart. You know why? That would mean that you could read mine. I don't want that to happen. That would be kind of dangerous. You have no business knowing what my heart's saying. Well, anyway, I'm just glad that Jesus is taking care of that. So there's more to this story. The story didn't end there, not with just forgiving and forgiving our debtor. The story goes on. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man who had been forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you all that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he could pay his whole debt. Oops, what happened? Wait a minute. Hit pause. I want to know, wasn't his debt forgiven? What happened? Isn't, Isn't forgiveness separated as far as east is from the west or thrown into the bottom of the sea? Wasn't his debt forgiven? How did it come back? Obviously, it had to come back or else he wouldn't have been thrown in prison. You see, it kind of boils down to this. When I refuse to forgive my brother, what I am really saying is I don't think Jesus' death on the cross was enough to pay for the wrong that was done to me. We'll stop and think about that just a minute. If Jesus' death on the cross was not sufficient to pay for your enemy's sin, then I guarantee his death on the cross wasn't sufficient to pay for your sin either. By not allowing forgiveness, I am saying that Jesus cannot pay for my enemy's sin and that the death on the cross or his death on the cross, is disqualified. If his death on the cross is disqualified, where does that leave me? I must then pay for my own sins. Thus, my forgiveness is canceled because I can't accept it. forgiveness is your gift accepting it if i can't accept it then i must be sold to pay for my own sin so even though i receive forgiveness in the first place an unmerciful spirit says to god that his pardoning love is rejected if i've rejected his pardoning love and his sin or his forgiveness from my sin the separation that the sin causes from God that an unforgiving spirit initiates, puts an unforgiving person in the same condition they were before he or she was forgiven. Whoa. Did you catch that? And that is what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and your sisters. From your heart. You see, forgiveness and reconciliation is not saying it's okay. Forgiveness is saying, I realize Jesus suffered for your sins on the cross. Forgiveness is realizing that by his stripes we are all healed. No healing has ever come by stripes inflicted on my enemy. It doesn't have the power or... He doesn't have the power to bring me peace and reconciliation. You see, it is flawed thinking to believe that a sinful person can pay the price for any sin. My enemy's suffering isn't what heals me. Jesus doesn't have to hurt my enemy in order to heal me, and all sin requires healing, yours and mine. Never forget that the great lesson of this parable lies in the contrast between God's compassion and man's hard-heartedness, in the fact that God's forgiving mercy is to be the measure of our own. The question then that I need to reflect on should you not also have compassion on your enemy, even as God has had compassion on you? We are not forgiven because we forgive. We are forgiven as we forgive. As we forgive is a recognition of the penalty that has already been paid for our enemy's debt against us. So how is it that you forgive? The ground for all forgiveness is found in the unmerited love of God. Therefore, it is by your attitude toward others that we show whether or not we have made that love our own. The question remains for you to answer. Have I allowed God's love to be a part of who I am? Or at least willing to allow it because Christ was treated as I deserve that I might be treated as he deserves. Christ was also treated the way my enemy deserves that I may now treat my enemy the way Christ deserves to be treated. With his stripes, I am healed. With his stripes, you are healed. Gracious Father in heaven, we've come to you today with hearts that are struggling, with hearts that want to love you. We want to say to you, I am willing. Make me willing. Teach me to be forgiving. Teach me to be Christ-like with compassion and mercy toward others. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen.